Welcome back to episode number eight of the Medical Chalk Talks. Uh, I'll be your host, Evan Arias, and I'm a second year internal medicine resident. In today's episode, I'll be discussing how to stay organized during residency as well as doing admissions for um, res- during residency. And this is specifically geared towards those interns now or the incoming internal medicine residents that are going to be starting the residency in Je- July of this year. And obviously, for those preliminary uh, residents, this is also could be useful, but I'm going to be gearing a lot of my thought process to categorical residents who will particularly be seniors in a, a year from now. Um, so with that being said, this episode will consist of me going over how I stayed organized or what I learned when I was not organized and things that I wish someone told me when I was an intern. And by doing that, I think it will be able to help you understand kind of the thought process that you should have when you're doing admissions and could help you stay organized when you're doing admissions as well. And so obviously now during this time, a lot of the medical students, M4s, you matched and you're looking forward to residency. And there's been a lot of talk about what you need to do to prepare. And like I mentioned before, all these resources that I'm giving you for free are not something that you need to do. It's definitely not something that I would highly recommend or anything. But I think if you're anything like me, I at least for me, I was always anxious. I always felt like I had to do something. If not, I'll just be more uh, concerned about my performance during residency if I didn't do anything. And let's be honest, you probably forgot a lot of stuff during medical school, uh, given the fact that you probably haven't had a clinical rotation in months. At least that was my experience when I was an M4 um, medical student. So in the beginning, I think it's hard to realize that residency is, well, it's not hard. I think a lot of times we don't have the right impression. I think going into residency, we think that residency is obviously there is a big, steep learning curve. But something that we don't hear often is how being consistent and being organized and being a hard worker really goes a long way. More than, I would argue, more than intelligence. Um, intelligence could be obviously learned and could be being smart is something that intrinsically some people have it. But I think work ethic alone could get you to a higher level in terms of performance than just intelligence alone. Um, and if you were like any, if you were like, if you knew me, if you knew my story, you would you would understand that the reason why I found residency fun really is because I've enjoyed working. I enjoyed working most of my life uh, as an adult, uh, and also when I was a kid, my work with my dad. And so, if you're that type of person who just wants to get things done and wants to work, you'll find residency really more fun, I would say, than medical school. And de- but definitely. Does not it does not come challenge free. Obviously, residency is filled with many challenges, both emotional, intellectually, physical. But with this podcast, I'll explore those challenges with you so that you don't feel like you're alone during that process. So with that being said, um, please listen to this few this podcast will be different, obviously, than yesterday. I won't talk too much about philosophy, about mental wellness, and that's obviously something that I love. But for this topic, um, I'll like keep it very st- structured, very logical, and give you very quick 
tip tips that I think would help you become successful during residency. So in the beginning um, in July, you'll be handed off, uh, you'll be handed probably like 10 patients. Uh, usually if our intern, at least the, the regulations for interns is that you need to you know, carry, you cannot carry more than 10 patients uh, per intern. So at most you'll get 10 intern, uh, 10 patients per intern. Uh, and oftentimes you'll get a list of things to do that was handed off from an intern who now is becoming a, uh, a second year resident. And so what that means is that now you, you are responsible to, for getting those tasks done. And then you have to realize that you are an employer now. You are part of a medical system that it has financial concerns. And obviously we're, we went to medical school to take care of patients, but you are now part of something else, some uh, different structure that needs to run itself, right? Through money and through finances by taking care of patients. Um, that was the outcome. So you need to provide some type of value. And the value that you're providing is by obviously being there for the patients, but being efficient and being getting work done. And ultimately, as a senior resident, I need to make sure that you understand what the job entails. And you have to consider yourself not as a work workhorse, but really as part of the team and making sure that if there's anything that you cannot get done on time, you communicate that. The worst enemy is yourself. And if you feel like you are slowing the team down, you speak up and you say, you know, this is what's going on. I need help and you'll get it. But we and no one else can help you if you are not being vulnerable. And I think vulnerability is something that is very difficult for a lot of people to understand. But I'm telling you now that vulnerability is also a form of strength because it allows you to understand your weaknesses so you can become stronger. And with that idea, I think now you'll understand the reasons why having that mentality is going to be able to help you. So what I would recommend early on, um, having a structure and how to, it doesn't matter what structure you have and making sure you have your uh, patience in check. What I, what I did and still do um, is keep a to-do list. Oftentimes, uh, I try not, I don't really have a to-do list anymore, I, um, but I, because I, I kind of already understand everything that I need to do, and I just kind of keep little, I used to take a lot of notes, basically. As an intern, I would forget a lot of things, and I would have a hard time keeping up with everything, and I realized that the more, the more I thought that I was, I honestly felt like there was something wrong in terms of how I was organizing things, so I realized that I had to have a different system, so what I did early on in intern year is try to make sure that I would uh, have a really well-organized system. And I can't, I don't want to, this topic is complicated because everybody has their own way of organizing things. Uh, people would have a to-do list, like a checklist. They'll make empty, empty uh, boxes. And right next to the box, they would have what they need to do, like call console service for infectious disease firm. And, they'll, and the way that you could do this is if you use Epic, which is the electronic medical record, you could print off a handoff, which just has the name of the patients. And under those patients' names, you could have a to-do list, a checkbox. And um, in the morning, I would I would obviously print out my to-do list. And the next to the patient, I'll have the patient's vitals, the everything that I did for that day. Our back blood cultures, chest x-rays, um, imaging, I should say. And then my assessment and plan, like a little uh, outline, just so I don't forget what each plan was for each patient as an intern. That's what I did. Um, and 
it was a struggle because obviously you had there's a balance between not knowing very little and now it's time for you to present the patient you might not have everything but also it's important to understand that you shouldn't memorize everything that when you have an outline it's a when you're it's like going like to make a speech right when you're making a speech you'll probably i guarantee you if you have a speech that's you have if i give you three pages of your speech you'll make more mistakes than if i gave you an outline because it forces you if you have an outline to not memorize the speech but instead understand it and understand your key points and that's what how i would uh, suggest you go about presenting patients is not by having a whole paragraph of everything or their whole hmp but literally just having checklists or outlines and so you're framing your thoughts be, while you're writing it instead of writing the whole thing in the beginning of interview i made that very bad mistake of writing everything down to the point where i was graduating um finishing my interview year and i still had a difficult time really understanding a lot of things um uh, grasping a lot of the clinical scenarios of my patients because i almost trained my my, my mind to memorize things instead of understanding it so it was it wasn't until i realized that that was a mistake that i made that i i made it 360 uh, or 180 um and i completely changed the way that i was thinking and i would recommend you start doing that now before um at least framing it in your mind now so that when you start residency you have that mindset very clearly and that's going to help you understand more your 10 patients uh, at least more than if you were to write everything down because if you write everything down everything can be obviously a mess and you'll forget everything so that's what i would recommend is keeping things simple having a structure that you know that has worked when you were a medical student or if you felt like nothing worked during medical student it's okay to experiment now it's never too obviously it's not too late at all uh, you'll realize that a lot of the interns that you'll be working with also have that same issue with presenting patients and trust me um as much as you think you should be ready for uh residency and you should be very good at presenting you have to let that go now and realize that it's difficult for everybody uh, and it is because it's a training issue for a lot of programs they didn't train you well in presenting or you didn't have the experience enough experience to do well in it uh, and it comes with practice obviously so don't beat yourself up for that instead realize that there's better ways of going about it that could cause you less stress and instead allow you to really become more creative with the way you present things and that's what i recommend is having a structure so that's number one um and number two is another thing is uh, this is completely different um, from the topic at hand but another thing is learn something new one new thing every day if it's even if it's one small thing every day over 360 something days you're going to learn something you're going to learn a bunch of things actually over the, over a whole year so that was that's my recommendation as well just a little uh, as an aside point but now the next topic um i'd like to discuss now is admissions and i think admissions is kind of i take it the same kind of process as someone who is um organized if you do admissions you'll you'll find that it's a lot of info right you're you take you're basically the way that admissions work, at least for internal medicine is, or at least for a lot of services um, that are not consulting services, is that you get um, an ED that calls you, um, telling you that they're gonna, this patient's gonna be admitted for X, Y, and Z. And now you get, basically that's called, you get a, you know, you get a sign out of the patient. 
And your responsibility is obviously now taking care, managing the rest of the care for that patient. What I do simply is obviously before. So the way that it works, actually, you get paged before the. And it's your responsibility to call the emergency room back. At least how that's how it is in my hospital. And what I do is I look at the chart briefly. I obviously try to get as much info as I can by chart reviewing without seeing the patient at first, before I call. I look, but the most important thing is I look at the vitals. And I see, okay, how bad is, how stable is this patient? Because if the patient's unstable, I'm going to call them right away. I won't even look at everything else. And I'll tell the emergency room doctor, resident, physician to admit this patient to the ICU because they're not stable for the floor if I'm, if I'm admitting um, to the floor. If obviously I'm admitting to the ICU, then they're in the right care uh, because they're not stable. And I, I'll take care of those patients. But that's a, the first thing I do is look at their vitals. And then the second thing I like to do is if I realize they're stable, I look at everything, right? So a lot of vitals tell me a lot of things. Uh, I look and see uh, for heart rate and how is the patient's tacky. And not only that, but what's the rhythm? Um, are they in AFib with RVR? Um, and then I look at the saturation. Are they setting okay? Are they not? And if they're setting okay, is it on room air? Or they're setting okay, but they're on high flow nasocannula or they're on non-rebreather, that tells me this patient, non-rebreather is basically telling me that this patient might get intubated, so they shouldn't come to me. Um, I should call the ED right away and tell them, this guy's not stable. You should call the ICU for them to evaluate the patient. Then I'll take them if they don't want to take them to the ICU. Um, and that's basically, obviously there's more to that, but for now, I'll just keep it that simple. It's basically, vitals tell me stability in the sense of cardiac, in the sense of, so how are the lungs doing? How's the heart doing? How's the brain doing? Because in the vitals, you could also check the, on the flow sheet, at least there's a sheet that tells us uh, how alert the patient was, are they in pain? Tells me a lot of things. And then I look, I glance at the, at the labs, the labs uh, that I'm concerned about for patients who might, basically what I do is I try to see, find ways for the patient to not come to me, essentially. Um, at first, um, because obviously they come to me, they're not, that's not the right care and the patients could die on my service. So I look at, are they patients who have really bad sodium hyponatremic that they need to go to the ICU so they could get a closer eye on a, a Q4 BMP checks? Are they patients who are in DKA and they need to get also similar BMP checks to make sure that their glucose is going down and their gap is close? So. Or, you know, or the patients in acute renal failure needs dialysis, urgent dialysis, stuff like that. After I eliminate all that, then I look more, I put on my internal medicine hat and now I actually look at problems. What are the problems? And I put a hashtag for each of them. This problem is X, Y, and C, and then I go see the patient. So that's the system that I would recommend you do. Uh, and then I call, the pay, I call the ED resident. I obviously look at images, call the ED resident. Now that I have a very good idea of what's going on, I could ask the resident more questions or ask the resident to order certain things before I go while I go see the patient. And then I go see the patient, get a history, my own history, um, based on my own differential that I have for that chief concern. I order more labs and then I admit the patient. So by the time that I'm seeing the patient, I already know, have an idea of what could potentially be going on, or I have a clue of what I, questions I need to ask or what labs I need to order to rule in or rule out a specific diagnosis that I might have. And that's Thinking, that's all critical thinking. That's just uh, analyzing the situation and preparing yourself before you see the patient. And that's all about being organized. So the way that I told you to do this, that's something that I was not doing 
during my intern year, actually. It's something that I discovered um, just after intern year because I was not trained for whatever reason. I had to train my, I had to find my own way of doing things. Or if I was trained, I did not have enough practice at least to feel like I was trained in that specific, um, those specific situations. And residency should train you in doing that, but it just, every institution is different. Uh, but in the end of the day, I still got the training. The institution that I'm at is phenomenal. I see a lot of patients. So you have to take, what I'm saying is that you have to take every situation for what it is, but make the best of it. And if you feel like you're not getting the education that you need, you have to be an advocate for yourself and, be, and maybe volunteer and see more patients or ask people for help. And sometimes I was not doing that. So all I'm saying is that this is the reason why I'm doing the podcast so that you could be an advocate for yourself and be able to become a better clinician. So I kind of went over what I thought the podcast is. I was going to make a quick episode, nothing too long, but I hope that process of thinking helped you out a little bit. And I hope it did because uh, I think it's very useful. At least it, it would have been useful for me to hear this early on as an intern. But now as a second year, that's something that I'm still obviously still trying to master and it comes with time. And you're never going to become a master, right? Until I don't know when, but it's that's part of medicine is that you, we will never feel like masters. And that's the beauty of it because there's never an ending to uh, to being uh, successful in this career. There's always more to learn and there's always something to appreciate in medicine. So with that being said, thank you again for uh, li- listening to episode number eight now. Um, and I really appreciate all the views. And I hope you could follow me on Instagram, MD. I post a lot of different articles, journals there, and I hope you can learn alongside with me. Thank you again, and I'll continue posting as much as I can. And until the next episode, episode nine, I'll see you then. Take care. Bye.